welcome to this week's episode of Khaki Malarkey. We are joined by a very special panel of people from the Commonwealth Law Graves Commission. We are joined by Max Dutton, the CWGC historian, Megan Maltby, the public engagement manager, and Scott Smith, the social media manager. I can guarantee that this is going to be a good one. Should we go uh, right, in? We'll jump in. Yeah, we'll jump we in. Ready? Who wants to take the first question then? Can, who wants to tell us what War Graves Week is all about? Actually, <laughs> I think... Um, I think Megan and I would put Max forward for this. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you, I don't think I haven't put up. I thought the first question. I think somebody else is doing. Who wants to say That's surely that's you, Mr. Scott. That you're, it's just you're... so flexible, guys. Like yeah, exactly. whoever wants to take it, if you ch- all chip in, yeah, yeah. This is so not formal at all. Oh, <laughs> okay, so so um, yeah, Wargraves Week. So it's the first ever National Awareness Week for the Commonwealth Wargraves Commission. Um, sort of back in August, September time last year, we, we first started to think about doing something like this. And because um, we noticed other organisations do do similar. Um, and we didn't want to just sort of do it around the remembrance period where um, the traditional sort of remembrance time activities take place. We wanted it to take place at a different time of the year and also not take on those formal sort of ceremonies and events types that, you know, we want to do something a little bit different. Um, so Wargraves Week is going to basically highlight the work of the commission to not only those that already follow us, but also hopefully lots of different people and new audiences. And we're going to be doing this through um, both physical and digital uh, events, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to further on. Um, and obviously COVID has played a, an active role in what we've uh, been planning. Um, I'm sure when we first thought of the idea uh, in August, September last year, that uh, we would hope we'd be further down the line, but at least we're still going to be able to do some things um, that we want to be able to do. So um, Megan, do, do you want us to talk about the uh, the physical events as soon as you're the, the driving force? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the physical events are starting on Friday, the 21st of May. So that's, of course, um, the Commission's anniversary. Um, so we're kickstarting at Brookwood Military Cemetery in Surrey, which is, of course, the largest CWGC site in the UK. Um, and then what we'll do is do a bit of a tour around the country. So we have events taking place um, thereafter at Runnymede, um, then to Cambridge, then to Plymouth, then to Cardiff, um, then to Edinburgh, and then down to Harrogate for our final event. Um, so that's really what those events are going to look like. And as Scott has mentioned, COVID really has played a part um, in what these events can be. But what we're hoping they will still be is a really brilliant way to engage with the local public. So what we're trying to capture here, as as Scott said, we we obviously want our core audience to come along and be engaged with these events. But we know that there's so many people this past year who had taken their daily walk through one of our sites. Um, They may have, you know, popped in on their way back from the shops or, or, you know, just really used it as an excuse to get outside. Um, but what we also know is lots of people walk through these sites and have absolutely no clue who looks after them, you know, about any of the stories of those commemorated there. So really what Wargraves Week is all about is to encourage local communities to go and visit these um, local sites and learn about, you know, the stories of those commemorated there, what they did and, and how they ended up back here in the UK. So that's really what we're hoping those, those events will do is, is highlight those, those stories of those here in the UK. 
Oh, I think it sounds brilliant. And that actually leads really well into my next question because I wanted to be like, everyone knows, and I think a lot of us do, obviously the Commonwealth Law Growth Commission is all about the Western Front or Normandy and you think of it so traditionally, but you never think of it, as you said, as it could be in your local churchyard or you could be walking past it every single day. So what is, for those who don't know, the history behind the commission, the UK sites? I think, Max, this would be for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna admit something quite shameful here. So I was thinking about this just before we started. I'm wondering how many times I went to a Commonwealth Orgrace Commission site overseas, France and Belgium, before I ever set foot in a commission site in the UK or really registered the fact that there were service personnel commemorated uh, in the UK. And I must have been half a dozen times out to the Western Front and seen the commission's work out there before I, I realised. Um, but this campaign that we're running at the moment is all about recognising the fact that the Commonwealth War Graves Commission commemorates 300,000 Commonwealth service personnel of the two world wars right here in the UK. We have a team of over 100 maintenance staff who work around the clock to ensure that those graves are to the standard that everybody uh, expects them to be. It is a, a, a huge task in the UK um, because there was there's some really weird things going on here. So service personnel who died overseas, of course, weren't repatriated really famously. And that's why the commission came about. And it's why we have these amazing sites all across the world, not just France and, and Flanders, where we can go and visit and see them all buried together side by side, comrades in arms. For those who died in the United Kingdom though, um, their families could, were given the choice about where they could be laid to rest. And lots of mums and dads and wives and husbands wanted them home, wanted them to be buried in the local churchyard where they could go and visit them. And that was absolutely fine. And so that's where they are to this day. And that leads to the commission looking after war graves at over 12,000 locations across the United Kingdom, which is a, a massive task for 100 staff. You know, this huge, I said a huge staff of 100 people. <laughs> 12,000 locations, it's very small in comparison to that. Um, but, you know, thinking about the UK just in, in itself, you know, we forget that the UK was a fortress on the front line during two world wars. It was a training camp on the front line where soldiers, where people, people volunteered to serve in the armed forces and trained. Um, it, it was a, uh, an industrial hub that was targeted by enemy forces during both world wars um, and it was a home for millions of British and Commonwealth people um, who found themselves on the front line and uh, the war graves that we look after really are some of the most poignant reminders of the fact that the, the Great Britain was the United Kingdom was on the front line for for two world wars. The great way of putting it. Yeah, no, it's incredible when you when you hear it all just like that. I, I am so guilty of dragging everyone I know for, oh, do you want to go on a walk? And then they're like, where are we going? Um, <laughs> not, not, not to a walk, it's like, <laughs> but it's great because I love it. And I love, my favourite thing about it is um, looking at the individual histories behind it when you kind of see a gravestone and you're like, oh, I'd love to know the story. So I love going and doing a bit of research on it. So I'd love to know if you guys have any stories that you've, research or you've just seen and been interested in give us a bit of history behind some people there's not really you can't really say a favorite history but one of the stories that really stands out to me and I just think it's fantastic is the the story of Noor Iniat Khan 
um, who's commemorated on the Runnymede Air Forces Memorial um, in Surrey. And I think really because it was at a time where people didn't think women could do a lot. Um, they couldn't be on the kind of traditional front line, yet what she did as a special operations executive was arguably some of the most kind of dangerous and highly skilled work, um, especially if you got caught. So she joined as um, part of the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, which is why she's commemorated on, on the Runnymede Air Forces Memorial. And she'd originally trained as a wireless operator. And she had come to the attention of the SOE because she spoke fluent French. So that, that's, that's one of the things they were looking out for. And she went through really physical training. So she learned military skills like how to shoot, throw grenades, map reading, and to fight hand in hand without weapons, which is just, you know, such an incredible <laughs> skill to have. Um, and she became one of the first women to be sent for signals training um, and was actually called away early from this final training segment because she was desperately needed in France. And when arriving in France, little did she know that her SOE group that she'd been sent to join was just about to be unraveled by the Nazi secret police. So arrest after arrest was made and Noor ended up the only SOE agent in um, the Paris area. But she carried on working and after months and months of difficult and really dangerous work, she finally agreed to return home to the UK as soon as there were to be a replacement sent for her. But really sadly, just two days before she was about to leave, she was arrested by the secret police. Um, she was interrogated repeatedly, but refused to give up any information. And in fact, even tried to escape twice from her cell. She was transferred to prison in Germany, where she was held in solitary confinement for 10 months in shackles, which you just can't even imagine that happening. That's insane. Um, that length of time as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and to still not give up any information is, is just incredible. Um, she was then transported to Dachau concentration camp where she was killed on the morning of the 13th of September 1944, aged just 30. Um, of course, as she was cremated at Dachau, it's not known what happened to her ashes. So that's why she's on Runnymede Air Force's memorial. And I think we have a lot of cemeteries and we have a lot of um, graves here in the UK. But I think telling the stories of those on memorials is just as important and it's sometimes harder to resonate with just a name amongst hundreds of names um, than with, you know, a, a physical headstone where you know there are remains underneath. Um, so it's really yeah. sharing those stories of those on memorials as well. That's a really important part of our work in the UK. Oh, definitely. Why was she picked for Runnymede? Because she, she was there. part of the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. So because it's an Air Force's memorial. Oh, okay. Um, where Second World War Air Force personnel who have no known grave are commemorated. Oh, lovely. Brilliant. Scott? Um, so Max and um, Megan might be surprised to hear that um, it's, it's someone from Cannock, where I, uh, I'm based uh, originally from, I should say, who I've chosen here, because whenever I go to a Commonwealth War Graves Commission site, I always try and find out if there's a link to home. Um, so whether they're from Cannock, Chadsmore, which is the village I'm from, or Hensford. Um, so, and, you know, we, we, we did get around quite a bit during the, both the World Wars, but it's not a casualty in the UK who, who related to the Cannon Chase area that I've actually chosen. And sorry, Max, if I'm stealing your thunder here a little bit, because I think Max has also chosen a plot. But it's a, it's a service personnel in a plot in the UK that I've actually picked out. And um, I only came across them, actually, in um, sort of September 2019. Um, and this was a, 
uh, a group of, of Second World War servicemen who were buried in Western Supermare Cemetery, um, then in uh, Somerset, I think that's right. Um, and they, they're perhaps little known is about them because they're not buried with their comrades in Arnhem because all these were airborne troops. And actually, they were they were on their way to Arnhem um, on the 17th of September 1944, when their uh, horse glider broke up in midair over Bristol, and sadly, um, all on board or 23 on board perished. And it got me thinking a little bit, really, that you know um, we, we have all probably been guilty of it, travelling to the continent to go and visit war graves and yet right on our doorstep here and this is very much what the our war graves your history campaign from the commission has been uh, undertaking to, to, sh to show that there's there are these stories right here that we we don't always think about and and you know I, I was going to Arnhem the following week and thousands of other people were and the the, the center of attention was obviously and rightly so on Arnhem is to be war cemetery because it's absolutely beautiful but the, here are these 23 people who took off from the UK on the same day, but didn't even get out of the airspace, you know, and sadly, sadly died. So it was quite poignant to think about that, I think. Yeah, I've been to so the cemetery and um, I've been to, is it Oosterbeck Cemetery in Arnhem? It's absolutely incredible there. It's, it's beautiful. Amazing. Highly recommend. Matt? Um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think when you do, when you work in history of any kind, every day is a school day. So you're learning something new all, all the time. And I think that part of the joy of this UK campaign that we've been on and we've been working on for the last year is that we've found loads of new stories which we didn't even know uh, existed um, and I'm going to cheat and say I've got two because I couldn't resist one really quickly is um, two tiny little plots of graves one in the Brecon Beacons and one in the Cairngorm so Wales and Scotland where there are a handful of Indian soldiers and they're part of the Royal Indian Army Service Corps and they came to Britain um, when Britain realised that this might be a really long war, that we might actually, the Second World War, uh, that we might be doing fighting in the mountains. Um, and uh, they thought, well, who, who better than people who spend their lives living in the mountains and are you know, elite mountain troops? So they came to Britain to, to, to help train our guys to do it um, and also to train themselves. And I just love the idea of, uh, uh, of these guys, you know, living and working in the Welsh mountains and the Scottish mountains and integrating with the local communities and all those kinds of things. And they now lie at rest in these two beautiful little plots um, uh, in, in those two locations. But my, my one person who I, I fell in love with the story, it's, a, it's not a happy story. We don't have many happy stories in the Wargraves Commission, um, but it's uh, Lieutenant Thomas Wilkinson, who's a, a VC winner. He's on the Liverpool Naval Memorial um, in Liverpool. Uh, which is an unusual memorial in itself because it's merchant navy chaps um, who served with the Royal Navy. So they volunteered to then go off and serve the Royal Navy. So it's a slightly unusual one. But he was out in the Far East uh, in 1942 when the Japanese started invading everywhere. And he's in command of this tiny little riverboat paddle steamer um, with 80 guys under his command. Um, and uh, it's all getting a bit hot out there uh, in terms of the Japanese invading everywhere. And so uh, he's ordered to take the boat to safety, leave Singapore and take the boat to safety. And they're going off in their riverboat paddle steamer you know, with a full light along the sides and all the good stuff. Um, and they encounter um, the Japanese invasion fleet that's making for Sumatra, which is you know dozens of 
proper big modern warships and transport vessels. And uh, he does a little, a quick poll around the crew and they all say, nope, we're going for it. So they charge the Japanese invasion fleet um, and manage to waylay them for, like, for an hour, right? Dodging shells, bursting all around and the whole whole thing. Eventually the, the, the ship is hit and as it's sinking, they charge a Japanese transport ship, which catches fire and they have to abandon it. Um, and sadly, virtually everybody on board, including uh, Thomas Wilkinson, um, is is killed, and they're all commemorated on Liverpool. And think of all the people who are walking on Liverpool seafront, walking past that memorial. Um, go up and have a look at that name because what a chap! And I think his VC was for him and for his ship's crew for the you know, remarkable oh, wow. courage in the face of you know ridiculous odds. Mm. Is that quite unheard of a VC for like a group? I feel like I've not heard of that before. It's it's not that unusual. I mean, I, I don't think I think this one is specifically for him yeah. as the captain of the ship, but um, you know the actions of the whole crew played into it. Um, but you know, you look at the um, the VCs awarded at um, oh Lord, we've just had the anniversary of it, uh, where we tried to sink the ships in the mole uh, on the mole at um, Zeebrugge, the Zeebrugge raid. And loads of men, very deserving of Victoria crosses, and they did VCs by ballot. Oh, wow. And a number of VCs were awarded to those who didn't come home and were awarded posthumously, mm-hmm. um, which is quite, oh. quite an, an interesting other side to the Victoria Cross. What do you do when everybody is clearly <laughs> deserving of it? Well, yeah. you award it to a few amongst. Well, that's a prime example of every day is a school day because I did not know that before. Yeah, it goes on so, the service record of every individual yeah. who might who was in the ballot though, which oh, is quite cool, cool as well. So you can. That is. Oh, I love that. Do you know what I find so interesting of all of your, the ones that you've picked? Obviously, like, I don't think you've all kind of talked together about who you're picking, but like each of them, different locations, different for, like types of kind of commission plots, but then also it shows the Commonwealth kind of contribution and like how vast the UK is that you've got sites literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like, I think one of the key things that obviously I think Walgrave's Week will show is that not every UK site is the same so like we've had plots cemeteries graves everywhere you know and I think that's really important for the public to kind of come across and understand but what are the best ways for the listeners if they're thinking well I don't know what a plot is like where can you go find it locally I know that I've drawn my mum into kind of understanding now and it's so sweet I don't know if that's from being an intern but she'll be like look 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 it's a green plaque and this is the commission and I'm like well done mum there's a brownie point for you but for others who aren't really aware what is their first approach into going into this um, well, uh, I, I listed some down actually, Olivia, and you. <laughs> so, and um, you, you've taken one of them off there already. So, the green sign are a great way to start. Um, you know, that's a project that's been um, running since 2014 from the Commission and uh, trying to um, pinpoint every location in the UK uh, with, a, with a war grave. Um, I think actually Scotland pretty much is there uh, with, with having a sign for every, um, but the other nations are still. Uh, work is, is put on being undertaken throughout the, the country so uh, that's yeah it's a it's just it's surprising actually when you notice them you'll always notice them from onwards as well you know you'll be driving along and you'll see a green sign at a got yeah. stop there's a war grave <laughs> every uh, time yeah. um but but overall actually that the first port, port of call should be the, the new well uh, the UK portal that we brought out on our website um, last week, uh, last year even. <laughs> and, you know, you can go in there, you can select sections of the UK. Um, there's full-on longer reads of uh, and histories around 60 
uh, sites around the country, um, which Max has been really working really hard on uh, alongside the historians and archivists and public engagement coordinators that they've all contributed as a team there. Um, and obviously the website itself, um, you know, it's, it's full uh, of information, uh, not, not only obviously for UK sites, but all of our commitments around the world. So, and, um, and you can go on there and, and uh, find whatever you're looking for in your local area. Uh, and finally, um, the recently relaunched CWGC app, um, it's available on both iOS and Android. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but um, you can you can use that and you can pinpoint um, your location and it will give you a radius of uh, war graves, whether that's single cemeteries, memorials in the radius around you. Um, so, yeah, that, those are the, the probably the easiest ways that listeners can, can find out. And I should have mentioned earlier on, actually, um, I, I negated to mention that the digital element to War Graves Week, um, which is running between the 21st and 28th of May, and the digital side of it we're actually um we, we've got four uh, different live broadcasts during the week so um we're going to have two on that will be appearing on multi-channel that's on fr friday the 21st of may and friday the 28th of may and then on saturday the 22nd and sunday the 23rd will be uh, facebook living from uh, first brookwood and then running Mead. so uh, if people want to find out more i'm sure they'll be able to uh, tune in and uh, listen to what we've got to say that sounds so good. And what about you mentioned about events um, going on in the week as well? If people want to find out what's going on in their localities, where can they look to? Who can they contact? Or so all information will be available on our website. So really, these events are coming soon. So for people to really start keeping an eye out because um, it will all be launching in the next few weeks. Um, so all oh, hang on, we have to mention that we're recording this at like the end of April. <laughs> 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 so by this point it will be in motion it will oh by this point it will all be, all be in motion yeah it's it all going to be on the website, website. there we go there. so you'll know you'll be able to see um how you can access the digital events as scott was saying but you'll also be able to see all the tickets for um all of the events taking place in the uk but what we'll also be running so if you're thinking oh i've heard through the list of events and i live nowhere near any of these places how can i get involved so you've got the digital festival which is great which will give you a snapshot of some of our different sites in the uk and um, but we also have some brilliant volunteer tour guides who will be doing tours around the uk during that week of which olivia is one <laughs> and you'll be able to find information about all of those on our website as well so what we're hoping is that there really will be something physical going on near you and um, that the public can get involved with that's exciting i'm excited amazing. yeah i can't wait it's good yeah it'll be great hopefully the weather is nice as well come on britain by that point we deserve some sun yeah um so what got each of you into history oh, max is the historian yeah, <laughs> history is really cool why wouldn't you want to be involved in history I agree. And, yeah and learning about who we are and where, where we came from and who our you know forebears were and what they did and all that kind of cool stuff i did my fiance's uh uh father's family tree and we managed to get get it all the way back to 80 uh seven 1790 which was oh, wow. pretty cool it's very impressive oh, that's awesome yeah really really cool um it's, and it's, it's little moments like that where you realize you know why wouldn't you want to to, to look and find out and and discover um and I, I think i just like everybody here i'm in a, an extremely 
privileged position to be able to spend my time working for the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, indulging my passion for looking at this sort of stuff all day and be paid for it. It's amazing. Um, I thought how I got so lucky, I don't know. Um, but uh, I studied at university, studied history at university, and then applied for the right places and was given some amazing opportunities, which I've seized with both hands. And here we are. Love that. What about you, Megan? I, for me, it was, I guess, just a genuine interest since school. So from studying it at school through to, you know, A-level and then for part of my degree as well, it's really just having that that genuine interest in how things happened and why they happened. And I think for me, the, the real importance of it, though, and, and from which point it kind of really resonated with me was a visit to Auschwitz um, back in, about 10 years ago now. And I think for me, it was just that moment of, how important it is to study history and learn from it and make sure things like you know this just never happen again and the only way you're going to be able to do this is is to learn from those mistakes and and to kind of remember that you know the horrors of, of war and the horrible things that can happen um and you know to make sure these things are learned and studied so we we just never forget that they happened very what was that like going at such a young age to someone like Auschwitz it was pretty sobering and and quite um yeah quite hard to quite hard to appreciate what exactly you were looking at I think that was that was what I found um having visited there it was just trying to take it all in and and really appreciating where you were stood and and what that might have felt like all of those years ago um and I think that's that's what really stuck with me was you know just never forgetting that moment and how I felt in that moment yeah definitely and what about you Scott it was through my uh, granddad. Um, so he, he didn't serve in the uh, Second World War, but he, he grew up during it. And I, I can remember him telling me uh, tales when he was a child growing up and and um, sitting up on the hills around Cannock and actually seeing like, Birmingham on fire um, from the German. Uh, oh. And, and he, he told me about this time a German aircraft actually, actually crashed. Um, it wouldn't be too far away from the Cannock War Cemetery, actually. And he said they all cycled up there we, uh, on their bikes to try and get to the air as quick as possible. The policemen always beat them to their uh, <laughs> to go away. Uh, but it was stories like that, really. And I, I think, uh, and then I always remember he introduced me to war films. And we, from a young age, I'd probably only be about, I don't know, eight or nine. And we were used to watch war films all the time. And and then we start to go to different sites and. And he, he always, if there was a veteran there, he always tried to push me to the front to go and meet them. And I've got, I've actually recently found a picture out of, um, I met this uh, Spitfire uh, pilot and then he became a Lancaster bomber pilot called Bob Doe. Um, and he, if you research him, he's, he's, he's quite famous and, um, and sadly no longer with us. But I've got this picture when I'm on page probably about seven or eight. And uh, my granddad, I can see him now pushing me to go on my picture because he said, this will be, something to treasure for many years later and I'm so glad he did um, because yeah. it is and that is the, the reason I got into history um, but I, I didn't then for some reason didn't do a degree or anything in it uh, I went down the journalism route and then I found myself now working for the commission so yeah like Max really privileged to be able to do so. Amazing so this is you don't you can answer this as a group or individually but are there any historical myths that you would just love to bust this was let's get some funny answers for this one yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is there anything everyone has something within the field that they're like oh I want to shout that from the rooftops because it's cool and no one knows it all 
<laughs> or people always get it wrong. I'll, I'll go first this time, shall I? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it's actually uh, it's it's a, a military history one because uh, I've got an interest um, in the 1940 sort of France and Flanders campaign because that's where my great granddad actually um, was fought, and I've researched mm. about him. But it's when when you see people writing about that, and because the German army advanced, the Blitzkrieg was so quick across um you know the, the low countries and into france and people put it down to the fact that oh they were fully mechanized uh you know that the and all this and actually they weren't you know they still relied on horses so much and, and i think it's a that is a myth that people think that the german army was fully mechanized at that point in the war um, and ultimately um they during the whole war really um because they they built such grand um you know vehicles uh but they built them in such small numbers compared to sort of like the american sherman which was rolling yeah. off auction line every 30 mm -hmm. seconds you know so it, that's yeah the, the myth that the german army was so mechanized at the start of the second war needs busting i feel <laughs> agree completely agree i work pretty much as what i'm doing for my job at the moment so i can completely agree with that scott the Germans were not that mechanized. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matt? Um, I, was, I was thought long and hard about this one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I went to university and, and got to be taught by Dr. Lucy Noakes, who I know you were with, uh, yeah, Olivia. my supervisor. Um, and she's fantastic. And she's written Great. a lot about the Blitz and you know, people at war in the UK um, and women at war in the UK particularly. And uh, I always thought that her point about Blitz spirit and it being an utter load of nonsense. You can swear, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, that it being, basically it's a myth that we've come, yeah. that this was our finest moment and it's sort of come out of the Churchill speech of, oh, so everybody coming together and wouldn't it be better if we we're all just in the Blitz again? like well actually while a lot of people were very very scared underground other people were coming in and robbing the houses and yeah. the second that bombed out locations were bombed you know the, everything would be blown in so you could easily get into people's houses so people would come back and find that the houses had been bombed or if they hadn't been badly bombed they'd find that everything had been stolen oh, that's, yeah. that's annoying but i've got a second one that i thought about just before we came. <laughs> relates to this which is keep calm and carry on yeah is, yes it, it's, i know it's I'm glad everywhere. you brought this one up. Every, I saw it on an egg cap <laughs> the other day. Um, uh, I think it was keep calm and go for gold when I saw that one. It's oh, like little variations man. of and oh, it. And it. <laughs> it was only used in the tiniest, tiniest part of London um, during the Second World War. And they thought, well, it perhaps sends the wrong message because maybe it implies that there isn't a reason to be calm. So they stopped using yeah. it very quickly. But for some reason, modern marketeers <laughs> saw it and put it on tea towels and stuffed animals. And oh, I hate that. It was really random, wasn't it? No, I, I, yeah, the Blitz spirit myth. I mean, I thought of it when Scott was talking earlier. So, like, my nan as well, she got me into history and she was in um, North London during the Blitz and she had, like, seven siblings or something like that. Um, so there was a lot of them. When the siren went off, they would all go down to the, um, the Anderson shelter. And I remember my nan's brother telling me a story a few years ago. And it's a story I love about my nan. And it's that they're all running down and they're all like, where's Alice? Where's Alice? Like, why is she taking so long? And they were just told, you know, just grab your pillow or like a teddy or something and run down. She was trying to drag her entire bed down to the garden. She was like, if I can't go down there, I'm going to be comfy. And I just want to have my stuff. She's like, how are we going to be there? And yeah, so I just, uh, yeah, very on-brand story about my nan. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to try, haven't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Megan, what's yours? 
So my one, um, which I thought that one of um, the guys was going to take, is it's got to be the, the Christmas truce during the First World War. Um, whilst, you know, we, we know that it's happened on potentially smaller scales um, along, along the Western Front, um, we know it wasn't this huge truce that happened all the way across the front. Um, so I think that's the myth I'd like to bust is just, you know, that, that this wasn't everywhere and it was fighting on different fronts that still very much continued um, even on you know, Christmas Day, we have casualties that we commemorate from Christmas Day. So not everyone was was saved by, by a football match. I blame the Sainsbury's advert for that yeah. one. <laughs> it, it was a great advert though. Yeah, but I think I could enjoy it because I know it wasn't true. <laughs> it's a struggle being a historian, isn't it? God. <laughs> right, so a kind of final question before we go into the fun round. Um, and I'm excited to hear this one is what is for each of you been a best moment in your careers working for the commission so far? And it's okay if you don't say meeting me. Um, <laughs> I won't be too offended. <laughs> Here's where you make me so jealous of all your cool experiences. But please, go on. <laughs> I, shall I go first? Go I can, on, I can yeah, pinpoint go on, it down to the second. <gasps> go on. So I got to, uh, there's, there's, there's lots of, I was thinking about this again, and there's lots of sentences that start with "I got to do this thing." I got, I so I got to go to the hundredth anniversary of the Battle of the Somme, and was there at Tietval at the moment uh, where uh, you know at seven thirty when the whistles blew, and I was there a hundred years after that moment. I got to stand under the the Tietval Memorial, and a, a little bit into the service, um, my dear colleagues who work at Tietval. Um, through petals over the top of the Tiet Memorial, then they, they slowly drifted down. I can just remember standing there looking up at the memorial with these, these, these petals coming down, and it was just sort of like that perfect slow motion moment of, I cannot believe, I can't believe I'm here. This is, this is incredible. And then about 20 seconds later, the rain came. So that ruined it. But Typical. <laughs> for a moment, it was, that was, I'll always remember that. I've got wow. some of the petals, I've kept them. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so point. I feel like any time um, poppies or petals fall from a commission memorial, it just, it's mm. so poignant. I remember being under the Men in Gate in Armistice 2017 and just that, they did that and just being like, oh my God, it just, like it said, it, like it goes in slow motion. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, Megan? Yeah, well, I have to agree with you there, Liv, being underneath the Men in Gate um, in, in 2018 in, on November 11th was just just spectacular and it didn't take the magic away even knowing that you know you knew that the commission staff were up there throwing them down because they were so well <laughs> hidden you couldn't see them at all. I was you would have been so happy doing that wouldn't you? It's just it was such I'd a love thing. to do it. Yeah, I said. I think we. I think as interns, we were all quite keen, weren't we? But I don't think any of our, anyone that was supervising us was that keen to send any interns up there. Like Max would have let us. I've, I've got a, a funny fact for this. So the petals come from a supplier, but they're all clumped together. So in like the afternoon before they have to throw the petals over, staff have to spend their time fluffing the petals, so they don't. <laughs> so they don't all just stick together. So otherwise, you'd just be throwing big clumps of lumps, and they're just. Sail <laughs> straight down, which doesn't quite give the effect. So a lot of effort goes into those petals. Yeah, I mean that's not a bad job to get paid for. No, <laughs> that's, petal fluffing is not their only job. No, <laughs> no, no, but you'd be no your arms this tomorrow, going this is going to be a good afternoon for us guys. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to add was another time as an intern, actually within the same week. It was in early November, and I think for me it was just one of the kind of coolest things I got to do was to be on an episode of Blue Peter. It was I remember when you did that. 
such a having watched the program oh as a child and then being asked to do something like that and talking about Tynecott I mean what a fantastic opportunity to to get that message across to young people watching the program um and to just stand there and you know talk about it after having you know spoken about Tynecott every day for four months to kind of finish it being able to you know share that with even more people was was just amazing um as well as having my blue peter badge of course which is a prized <laughs> possession <laughs> oh, i'd love that yeah it's incredible scott um i hope you don't mind but i've actually selected a year uh because 2019 for me at the commission was unbelievable it was it oh. finish i would say it was the best year I've, I've had at the moment and um it wasn't just because it was the last year that we were actually allowed to do normal things. Uh, you know, <laughs> obviously COVID arrived last year, but um, those twelve months were, were were quite something, really. You know, we I was fortunate enough to be able to um, to be able to mark events in uh, Poland, Normandy, and Arnhem for the Great Escape, uh, obviously D Day and the Normandy campaign, and then Operation Market Garden. So to be able to go to those and and be part of those big 75th anniversaries, you know, was, was really special because um, obviously the eyes of the world uh, are on you. And um, being the social media officer for the commission, it means also the eyes of the world are on a lot of the things that you're putting out there. <laughs> so uh, rather selfishly, that's why I chose those ones, I suppose. But um, also we, we, we did a project called Voices of Liberation uh, and we, we, we tried to interview as many different um, Second World War veterans uh, that we could, especially relating to those campaigns. Um, and uh, you know, it was it was wonderful to be able to go and interview numerous um, uh, the veterans during that year, and and hear their stories and get them on tape. And they're they're all archived on our on our website. Um, and you know, because as we've seen, sadly, um, a, a lot of these veterans are now now passing away. Um, I think we had. Uh, four weeks on the trot at the start of this year where a, a veteran who we had interviewed uh, has passed away you know and so to, to go and do that in 2019 was was really poignant really yeah it is it's so important can people still listen to that and get access to it absolutely yes so if they if they go onto our website and use the search box and type in uh, voices of the liberation all of them uh, are saved uh, there and you'll be able to listen back and um and there's some pretty incredible uh, narratives on there. Oh. Some stories on there that you wouldn't expect as well. We've got you know amazing stories of Normandy veterans who stormed the beaches and Spitfire pilots and people like that. But uh, I interviewed a, a lady who was the daughter of a Japanese soldier who fought at Kahima. I mean, what a different wow. perspective wow. that is. And how sad it was that none of the Japanese soldiers have any burial grounds, because of course the commission has a gorgeous cemetery up at Kahima on the tennis court where the battle was fought. But the Japanese soldiers have virtually nothing and she was campaigning really hard to want to go and find her I think grandfather um, because he was he just vanished and to them their souls are still roaming because they haven't had the I, I won't pretend to know what the no, no, yeah. ideas that, they, that needs to happen but it really and, and her interview is really really interesting I, it was she was interviewed in a room of about 400 other people so there's this huge hubbub of sound behind but worth worth checking that one out oh certainly Do, why don't the Japanese have graves like the cushion do is there a reason well because the, i think that particularly at that point um defeat followed by fast retreat 
um, yeah. through the jungles, you know, jungle fighting, the heat, the temperature, mm. uh, that kind of thing. Um, if people were buried, the graves weren't marked, everything happened very, very quickly. I mean, that's, this is a whole other podcast. Yes. Well, have you back? Which we'll gladly have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Important to cover that history. Um, oh, that's brilliant. Well, okay. This leads us on to our kind of final and the fun part. So I hope you guys are ready for this. Um, so we like to ask set four questions and just give your kind of immediate answers to. Um, are you guys ready? Ready. Cool. So, who is your favourite figure in all of history? Uh, Millicent Fawcett. Okay, look. solid choice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good, good. <laughs> I, I went for Her Majesty the Queen. Oh, <laughs> also, fair enough. Yeah. Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Second, I assume. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> is, is she a figure in history? I suppose she is oh. a figure that has influenced history. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Why, Scott? Does that have interest? I think, well, I mean, turned 95 last week and then, to, you know, obviously with everything that's happened recently, but, and then you see last night on the news, she's back Zooming again this week yeah. and still, you know, you think she served in the Second World War, has served this country for pretty much all of her, all of her life and, yeah, just, yeah, that, so. Can I get that? She, she was worthy of a mention. Definitely. <laughs> well, Max, what was yours? Now I'm aware this is better to be a quick fire round, but I'm going to have to explain who I've chosen. I've That's chosen <laughs> Gwen Alston, who no one will ever have no. heard of, perhaps. But we love uh, these ones. Um, but I wanted to wave a flag for boffinettes during the Second World War. So you'll have heard of boffins, you know, scientists, you know, slightly introverted men in glasses who do amazing things that win the war you know alan yeah. turing uh watson watt who invented radar um hugh hughes they all have random names for some reason hugh hughes who <laughs> did the mulberry harbors you know that kind of individual brainiac person who who saved the world um turned the course of war but there was often uh legions of brilliant women um, who worked either with them or were brilliant in their own right. And Gwen Alston was a mathematician, aerodynamicist. She um, basically defined how gliders worked. You think how important gliders were during the Second World War um, uh, and how dangerous they were. Well, she was going out single-handedly and, and flying them and working it out. And there's no computers. This is you, break, you fly an aircraft until it breaks and then you have to make it home to report what was wrong and then go do it again. Um, so absolutely incredible, incredible woman um, who deserves to be uh, recognised and remembered. And she survived the Second World War um, and went on to work in education, getting women into engineering and, and science. Really, really cool. And she was just one of one of many boffinettes. And I, I, I've only just heard that term. But I think it's really love cool. it. That's great term. Brilliant. And not yeah. a name I've heard of. So thank you for introducing me. Yeah, that's what we like. Right. Least favourite figure in all of history. Then this is always a good one. Go on, Megan. I picked um, Joseph Mengele, um, oh, okay. one of Why? the doctors at Auschwitz. Um, the awful and you know vile things he did to well anyone and everyone, yeah. and specifically twins. He was, yeah. you know, it was really disturbing. And I think just the fact that he managed to hide after the Second World War for so many years. He fled to South America, and 
so he was never held accountable for his actions and just you know passed away I think at the late 70s um of a stroke and he was he was never kind of brought to justice and I yeah. found that even more infuriating that people could get away with doing things like that yeah, yeah agreed mm. it's just Definitely. not fair completely yeah, he deserves to be a, the least favorite figure for sure <laughs> yeah. yeah what about you Scott now mine is on a very different tone <laughs> and, and like I took the fact that it was the fun round um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know we like to have the contrast um, yeah. and if you ask me this again in 10 years time it still might be the same answer the person <laughs> who invented VAR in football um, at the moment yes. they they are very much my least favourite person they're obviously I didn't expect that but I'll take it who's your football team Scott (laughs) Uh, my team is Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, so we've been having a mixed uh, recently but um, uh, obviously there would be a a much more serious answer uh, as well but um, uh, in regards to the VAR uh, Olivia I know you're a big rugby fan and it works in there yeah yeah, TMO for some reason (laughs) I cannot get it right with football and it was my heading. <laughs> this Arsenal fan agrees. Is all <laughs> Do you know what? That's valid. That's valid. Because if anyone listens to this in 50 years' time and VAR's still going, they'll be like, yeah, I agree. Really yeah. hate that person. So, so fair we, enough. We've got, we've got to blame the Dutch footballing authorities for this. So, oh, okay. at the moment in time, they are my least favourite people in history. <laughs> <laughs> we have not had that. That's so unique. And I love it. Yeah, Go on, Max. What's yours? I'm just a bit, a bit of a shock, you know, Joseph Mengler to the inventor of the AR. I think. Why is this a great round? You can't say we don't give you variety on the podcast. Uh, well, to bring us crashing back down to earth, <laughs> <laughs> um, I chose Peter Sutcliffe, who's aka the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, because he was, you know, there were so, so many horrible people in this world, um, but he killed. Um, 13 people and attacked nine maybe seven others over the course of you know a decade and terrorized a generation of women and changed the way that women particularly in the north of england where i'm from in leeds um acted when they go out and about it wasn't safe anymore because of his actions and they only caught him because they got lucky basically and he would have kept killing um and uh, you know he another person who kind of escaped justice as well which i hate because he mm. they very quickly diagnosed him with with mental illnesses which a lot of people debate whether he had or not and he actually died um last year uh, of covid um so at the oh, end of a, a life that was uh, was poorly spent perhaps mm. yeah i agree so uh it's another one that we're hoping is going to throw out some amazingly diverse answers <laughs> If you could go on a road trip, which three people would you have in your car? <laughs> Exciting one, this. So I went for Elizabeth the First. Okay. You know a lot about her reign and the way the kind of world was at the time, but her as a person, I feel like I don't know an awful lot about the kind of person she was. So I think she'd be a really interesting character to speak to. Um, the same with Cleopatra I mean what an influential woman I just love to you know the fact that she influenced Roman politics at the time I just think what what an absolute powerhouse I'd love to chat to her and you know see how she did things Um, and then finally Anne Frank I just think a fascinating 
you know person and and you know what she lived through would just be to hear that story from her would just be would just be incredible yeah. so yeah those are the three I went for oh. three queens in their own yeah way. I like that um I'll go next uh, so number one um I chose Bernard Montgomery not good old Monty yeah um I thought it really interesting to to hear about his 90 percent that uh, Operation Market Garden was a success, um, but also now uh, <laughs> the fact that like all think of everything that he was involved in. You now uh, a lot of people only think of the, the Second World War, but First World War um, career as well. If you can, if you can talk at that, um, but I thought that'd be really interesting to sort of dig into the military angle. Um, Bobby Moore. Obviously, the only English football captain to ever have lifted the World Cup, and we've already spoken about football. But uh, and he did uh, sadly pass away in my lifetime, but I was only very young. And but to, to 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 speak with him, you know, and hear his tales about what that was like at that time um, would be would be quite something. And you know, hopefully, we get to see that in our lifetime. But who knows? And then finally, um, it would be maybe left with field. Um, Robert Baden Powell. So I was actually a, a beaver, a cub scout, a scout, a scout leader for, for many years. And you know, the, the person who started skating and some it's become a worldwide phenomenon, you know, to, to be able to speak to him, um, you know, and, and think about how it's changed from um when he started it to, to modern day and and you know and how many young people he's inspired during that time would I think would be really interesting. Yeah, that is. I like that. It's a good car so far. Go on, Max. Yeah. <laughs> these, these cars, they must have some sort of universal translator in them. Oh, yeah, they're well. magic. Yeah. The, the, the languages. Band, yeah. yeah. Someone even asked the other day if they're from history, would they smell? And we were like, no, there's completely like fresh car. No worries. Um. <laughs> um, my, my three are weird and nerdy. I, some, one of my colleagues told me earlier today when I told them. Love my, it. My three. So, uh, Edwin Lutchens, so the, the one of the commission's three principal architects for the First World War, designed my favourite memorial, Tietval, um, which is uh, you know, bonkers in its brilliance. And uh, obviously the car that I'm going, we're on a road trip to the battlefields to visit. So if, you, if okay. you're going, and we're going to the Somme, which... Pretty much my default, you get in a car, where are we going? Should we go to the Somme? Oh, it's going to ask that, actually. We need to get some <laughs> Um, uh, so I think him being there to talk about why you put things in places and the design and what you felt about it, how awesome would that be? Um, uh, the next person's really weird, um, but William Rivers, Dr. William Rivers, he was the doctor at Craig Lockhart Hospital in Scotland. And I chose him because um, I think you should always have kind people around. And he was, oh. he pioneered, well, pioneered, but his his process for caring for shell-shocked soldiers was to basically talk to them um, and it's what we call modern psychological therapy um, and when other doctors were basically torturing soldiers until they got got over it um, for those who can't who are listening I'm giving funny <laughs> <laughs> ears in the air um, uh, and he was he was William Rivers was just deeply kind and um, treated Seafood Sassoon and, and Wilfred Owen most famously of course um, and is in the book uh, Regeneration, but the real man was just as kind as he is in the books, and uh, you should have that. And I think you know, in a world that's you know at the moment with COVID and everybody trapped and mental health being a real issue, um, 
we need people like William Rivers. So I'd bring him along in the car. Um, and my final person is George Butterworth, the uh, musician who uh, he's on Tietvel. He is, and his beautiful music's played in, in the museum every day. Banks of Green Willow. It's one of my all-time favourite pieces. Um, and uh, it's going to be played uh, at my wedding um, next year. And uh, nobody in the, the congregation, congregation, people who are there will yeah. probably know it, except <laughs> um, and uh, I'll, I'll remember him. So I'm taking him in the car and he can, you know, he can work the radio. Or... Yeah, I like that. <laughs> like it amazing so final question then if you could go back in time where would where and when would you go just for one day um i'll take this one so it's going back to the military history theme again and um if i if i could go back to one day it would be probably d-day to to be out we we hear a lot uh, and and i was spoken sadly that generation is starting to pass but we've we've heard a lot and read a lot about what it was like in that, on those opening hours in that first day of um, you know Operation Overlord, but to be able to see it with your eyes, I think you know would be obviously unbelievable. Um, you know to you look out to sea, you see that that armada of ships that just go on for miles and miles and miles. You know you see successes in some areas and not others. You know is it going to be? Are we going to be thrown back into the sea a few days later? Who knows? But to, to see that opening exchanges and, and, and we, we obviously got a glimpse through films like Saving Private Ryan, um, you know, but to, to that, I think that would be my day to go to because it's such a momentous day in history as well, isn't it? How would you want to have gone on D-Day um, on the beaches or airborne or if you had a choice? Well, or would well, you just I, simply like want to have like a Harry Potter visibility cloak and be like, <laughs> no one can hurt me. I'm just going to watch from behind a tree. That, that, um, would, that, would, be, that would be preferable. Um, but, uh, um, I mean, I've, I've got always an inkling towards the airborne. I would, wouldn't want to yeah. an aircraft or yeah. I, knew a, I knew a glider, uh, someone who used to landing gliders during the Second World War, wow. the flying coffin. Um, but I, I say that because obviously the South Staffordshire Regiment um, have got a huge link to the airborne forces, even though uh, obviously they weren't involved uh, on D-Day. Um, so, uh, you know, but it would probably be that. But, but also, when you landed there, you also didn't, you, you were well behind enemy lines. So, um, you know, it's sort of, sort of a catch-22, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Go on, Megan. So I'm heading back to the Roaring Twenties in America. Um, that's where I'd like to go to. Yeah. You know, parties. I think things were really changing for women at that point as well. There was kind of like a rejection of the old kind of social restrictions. And it was just a progressive time where things were changing. And I think to be there in a period of, you know, things notably changing in your life, being very different from how it was before. Yeah. It's been such, a, such an interesting and exciting time to be a part of after, you know, after the First World War, which had obviously been a time of real hardship and a time of real sorrow as well, to kind of move into this period of, you know, we're okay and we're having fun, I think just would have been, would have been a, a great time to have. Definitely. It would be amazing. The, the outfits, the, the jazz, the, oh, the parties, exactly. it'd be fantastic. Yeah, Definitely. especially after, you know, us all having had pretty much a year indoors, you know, the thought of going yeah. to those kind of parties. So you can... <laughs> what's on the brain, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'll be us in the next year, don't you worry, Megan. We'll all be here. <laughs> <laughs> and go on, Max, to finish us off on. I'm going back to a medieval joust. <laughs> oh, cool. I don't nice. think we've had one of those yet. Cool, yeah. well, how much fun would that be? You know, the, the armor, the, the 
the pomp and ceremony it's sport it's fun everybody's having a great time um yeah I'd, I'd go do that but elizabethan era maybe i was gonna say earlier. what year could you pick a year yeah something, somewhere around then somewhere, oh, okay. somewhere where they're really getting into it and it's you know it's all it's like, like, it's super shiny metallic armor and it's all crazy and you know it's the ultimate symbol of it's the ferrari of its time <laughs> you know the armor that you're wearing and everybody looks awesome then yeah. And VAR wasn't involved back then either. It would be a fair game. <laughs> oh my god, that's brilliant. Well, thank God we won't need VAR for this podcast. Go but guys, this has been fantastic. Any final notes on Wargrave's Week? Or... Get, get involved. Um, you know, you've got to go on the Commission's website, www.cvgc.org. Download our app. It really is one of the best ways to find Wargraves in the UK. There are Wargraves near you. I know that sounds a bit strange, but there are Wargraves near <laughs> I know, you. Yeah. Go and find them. Go and visit these, these men and women. They're amazing. They're, they're, they were part of the community in which you now live in, and it's all of our responsibility to remember them. Um, if you can't get onto one of the talks and or tours... Uh, that are happening near you over the course of Wargraves Week, which begins the 21st of May, which is the anniversary of the Commission's founding. Um, uh, do check out our website for different ways you can get involved. Or, as I say, just go down and, and visit one of the men and women that's near you. Everything we've talked about today, we will post links on our Twitter and yeah. everything, so you can find it easily. Go listen, listen, listen. <laughs> get well, I think that's a great note to finish on, guys. Yes. Thank you so Amazing. much. Yeah, thank you. Thank this you. Is great. And that was Max, Megan and Scott from the Commonwealth Wargraves Commission talking to us about Wargraves Week. So do make sure you get involved in that. We'll be back next week with another episode. So we'll chuck a little preview of that in now. Just touching on the historian thing for a moment. I mean, one of the frustrating things is that very often a film will come out and people will be pointing out, not unreasonably, the errors in it. And then everyone's popping up and going, oh, it's only a film. It is only a film, but actually, very often, the people who are working on that film are paid far more than you are as a historian to get it mm. right. So yeah. there's no reason why it can't be right. And the thing is, it's not about the story. The drama bit has to be a compromise because, to be honest, warfare is one of the dullest things imaginable. Don't forget to like, share and retweet. You can find us at Karki Malarkey on Twitter. Until next time, I've been Phoebe Style. And I'm Olivia Smith. And this is Karki Malarkey, signing off.